Well, if you're just joining us today, uh, we're jumping back into part two of uh, a sermon series that we'd started back in January, journeying uh, through the book of Genesis. Uh, we here at King's Church, uh, we believe that, that really the reason we gather together is to, to hear the word of God. You don't come here to hear my opinion. This isn't a TED Talk. It's not a speech. Uh, we come here to open this book up and ask God to speak something into our lives today. We believe that, that the Bible is alive, it's living and active, and yes, we read the Bible, but more than that, we here at King's Church believe the Bible reads us, and it has something to say to us in our day if we will listen, and so one of, the, one of our values here is we just stand on the Word, and so for the last six years, we've just been going through different books of the Bible. We'll pause and do a different series here and there, but generally, we've got a, bo a book of the Bible we're working through, and today, we're jumping back into part two of the book of Genesis, and if you were with us for the first half back in January and February, we got about halfway through, and we've learned some things about the book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible, and it's there to kind of start framing or shaping how we read the Bible, but more than that, how we read just existence in, in and of itself, how we understand the world. It's there to be a framing story. It's there to give us a theology for all the other ologies of this world. Does that make sense? It's there to give us a theology for our biology. It's, it's there to give us a theology for sociology. It's there to give us a theology for physiology. It's not there to give us a scientific document to show just how God made things up, but it's there to give us the why. It's there to give us a framework, a worldview. And so we've been looking through that lens in this series and we're finding out some things about just the brokenness of humanity, but God's original intention for it, and how when God made everything, and we believe that God made everything. You're not here by some mistake. This isn't some cosmic mistake. We have a creator, and that's what Genesis talks about. But things went south with the entry of sin and rebellion from people. And so we've learned, as you read the book of Genesis, you find just brokenness and humanity, and you see dysfunction on display, but throughout it, we started to see as it was as though God was kind of weaving this red thread throughout the whole book of Genesis, pointing forward to what he was going to do in Jesus. And so right from the beginning, as soon as you see dysfunction and destruction enter into the story of Genesis, we start to see God's redemptive plan and purpose. And so we found that the book of Genesis has a lot to say to us here today. And so today we're going to jump into a story, though, that at first glance seems a little strange, a little quirky, and a little tragic. But in it, I think we're going to find it paints a picture that we really need to see and that God wants us to see today. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. If you were with us for the first part of the series, we found out that part of God's redemptive plan was he was going to redeem the whole world through a family. He was going to make a family, his chosen people, and he set aside this guy named Abraham. And he said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, and they'll be my people, and through them we're going to bless the whole world. That was God's plan, and we found that to be true. And then Abraham had a son named Isaac, and now we show up today, halfway through the book of Genesis, and we find, just as God said, this lineage is starting to happen, and this family is happening, and we find we, we, that, that Isaac gives birth, or his wife gives birth, uh, to two sons, and I want to pick up here, and I want to read it, and then we're going to unpack it. But it says this. It says, this is the account of the family of Isaac, Genesis 25. If you have a Bible, just leave it open. We're just going to hang out. It's cool for some Bible study today. All right. All right. I can go with that. Uh, 
This is the story of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padam Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer. How many know God answers prayer? And, be, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. The Hebrew word for struggled there is more than just struggle or wrestle. It's actually like they were at each other in the womb. It was, it was a violent kind of opposition between the two of them. And so it says, she went to ask the Lord about it and asked, why is this happening to me? And the Lord told her, your sons, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve the younger son, which wasn't generally the way things work in this society. And when the time came, it says, to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with very thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau, which means hairy. That's what it means, actually. Yeah, like, I don't, not like, not like Harry, like Harold, like Harry, like Harry, right? All right. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob, and Jacob kind of means scoundrel. Uh, Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. So there's the backstory. We've got these two boys, Jacob and Esau, and the story, if we left it there, was going to be that Esau would grow up and take over the family line. And, and today, uh, thousands of years later, we'd talk about the family of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, but we don't. We know, those of you who grew up in church, maybe you're new to this, but the, the story is, we, the ones we talk about is Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. And we're going to find out why right here. It says this, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman. He wore a camo hat and had a browning shirt. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. He liked his mama, and he cooked cu cupcakes. <laughs> Isaac, I, just saying what the Bible says, and Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. Esau was a great hunter. He brought his dad meat and beef jerky. But Rebekah loved Jacob. One day, Jacob was cooking some stew. Now, I want you to start visualizing this, the stew. Start painting a picture in your mind because what this text is going to do is it's going to paint a picture, and a picture is worth a thousand words, and we're going to start to see some things kind of come to life and speak to us today. It says that one day, Jacob was cooking some stew, and Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Why was he hungry if he's such a skilled hunter? Hold that thought. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. Fun Bible fact, Edom, which means red. Uh, Esau became the father of the Edomites. Save that for later. All right. Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starv starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me right now? I don't care about that. That's a later thing. I need... Food right now, Jacob says, or Esau said. But Jacob said, first, you must swear to me that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. And Esau ate the meal, got up, and left. And he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn son. What an idiot. It doesn't take a Bible scholar. You don't have to know Hebrew. You don't have to bust open commentaries and figure out what's really going on here to pick up the fact that that was a dumb move. 
Like, that was a stupid trade. Like, what? That was, like, dumb and dumber class. Like, that, he, he should have been on the back of the moped with Jim Carrey riding along. Little dumb. Just when I thought you couldn't get any dumber, you go and do this and totally redeem yourself. No? Dumb and dumber? All right. We, we, we can pick up that this is a stupid trade, like that, that, what an idiot, why did he do that? And what's really going on here? But if, if you look a little deeper and not just kind of flip the page and say, well, that's a weird story, that's a stupid thing he did. I, don't know, I guess it's Jacob's turn to be the guy. If we'll look a little deeper, this actually has something to say about how you and I live our lives every single day and who we are in relationship to our Father. There's a few pictures I want to paint, and I want to look just at this text, just keep it open in front of you. But the first thing I want to focus in on as we look at this is this picture of the bull and the birthright. As you see the story unfold, we find out a few things about Esau and how this whole thing goes down. We find that Esau was out hunting and that he was a skilled hunter, and yet he comes home hungry. And we also know that it was his birthright that he traded for a bowl of stew. Now, what's the birthright? Why is that so important? In Esau's culture, uh, the family line would be passed on primarily through the oldest son. So the oldest son was allotted the family name. He was the heir to the family name. He was going to take the inheritance. His inheritance as the oldest son was not just the fact that he was now going to become the patriarch of the family. So when his father passed on, he was now the, the boss and the ruler of the family. And think a little differently about his family than your family. I know, Dad, you think you're the ruler and stuff, but... Uh, Esau's family had servants and households and tents and like fields and cattle. Like this was a massive estate we're talking about. This isn't like your, your, your two-story home. This is a nation that is being built. And Esau's birthright meant that he was going to become the father of that nation. His birthright meant that he was going to get a double portion of what his father left behind. So Esau would get two-thirds of the estate, whereas Jacob was set to get one-third. And if there were any other brothers born, all all of those brothers got to share one-third while the eldest got two-thirds of the estate. Understand the stakes. This is a massive birthright, and this was his right that he held that, that the day that, that Isaac was going to die was the day that he was going to take this birthright. So we know he has this birthright, and you got to get this in your mind that, that Esau was destined for greatness, he was absolutely destined for greatness, that his father had a blessing for him and a destiny for him where he was meant to rule. He was going to be a man of distinction. He was going to be a man of capacity, of glory. Like his birthright was this incredible destiny that he was giving up on. And, and I want to let that, that speak to you for a minute because you got to understand something about how God made you. Did you know that your birthright as a son and daughter of God is glorious? Did you know that God made you to be awesome? That when he designed you, you have been purposed and created and built for greatness. That's why God made you. I, I want to show you a scripture. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you look at how God intended humanity to be, like what your, your composition is, look at what it says in the Bible. It says in Genesis 1.27, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. You have been made in God's image. That's significant. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Two distinct expressions of who God is, male and female. Sometimes I'm going to speak about gender, but that's not for today. Then God blessed them. Say, he blessed me. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Right there in that scripture is the destiny that God has put over your life. It's hidden right there in Genesis 1 that, that that was to be our birthright as human beings. I'm not saying that like, you had to be born into some special family. I mean the fact that you were born, God made you for that. What, what, what am I talking about here? What does this birthright mean? There's three S's. I want you to write these things down. I don't have them on, on the screen. I didn't bring up my note thingy. You're just going to have to be big boys and girls and write these down on your phone. Here's what this birthright means. The first thing God created you for was significance. God created you for significance. The Bible uses the word glory. Do you know that your life was meant to hold weight? Your life was meant to matter? Your life was meant to shine? Your life was meant to be noticed and, and admirable and, and incredible? God made you for distinction? He made you for honor? He made you for beauty? He made you for purpose and meaning and power? That's how God made you. That's what it means when it says he made you in the image of God. God reproduced himself in you. Isn't that crazy? So already, and I just felt like the Spirit, and this isn't the main thrust of my message, but God wants to just confront some of that, that tear-down mentality we all embrace. That is the antithesis of how God created you. God wants to elevate you. Don't let, don't let voices start tearing you down. You have been made in God's image. That's incredible. You were made for significance. Second thing you need to understand is you were made for satisfaction. You were made for satisfaction. Uh, I use the word fulfillment. Notice it says, says, in the image of God, he created them. And then it says, be fruitful and multiply. What is fruitfulness? It's flourishing. You, you were meant to flourish. You were meant to know no lack. You were meant to experience flourishing and life and joy, abundance. That's your birthright. Did you know that? abundance is your birthright. That's how God created human beings to exist. In the, originally, when God set this whole thing up, that was your purpose, and that's how God created you, for abundance. He made you to be awesome, he made you to be satisfied, and he made you to experience third S. So significance, satisfaction, and here's this S, shalom. He made you to experience shalom. What is shalom? It's the Hebrew word for peace. And it's more than just peace that like, hey, we're getting along. It's peace in the context that everything is functioning as it should. It's, it's that everything works. It's that everything is in its rightful place and rightful order. He made you to rule. Did you know that? Like that's, that's what it's talking about when God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over it. God made his kids to rule and reign over the earth, to cultivate and order and control and have power. That's how and who God made you. Isn't that, let that rattle in for a second, because some of you don't feel awesome. Some of you don't feel incredible. Some of you don't feel significant. You feel like you lack all of those things, and we'll get to that in a second. But just elevate your mind and your perspective today. The Bible says that you are made to be amazing, and your life was destined to be amazing. Your life was destined to be fulfilled. So where do we go wrong? Well, the Bible tells us that, that sinfulness enters the story, and it actually disconnected us from God. That, that 
all of those things, that significance, that fulfillment, that shalom, those, those, those things were actually meant to be received in union and unity with God, that we were supposed to receive those things from God and that would flow out of our lives, that we would know no lack because we, we receive those things directly from God. But because of sinfulness, sinfulness is essentially disconnection from God, we all were born lacking those things. You were born empty. You were born hungry. And so the appetites that you and I have in our lives actually come from those things. Those capacities that God has put in you are actually crying out to be fed. There's a, there's a hunger for significance inside of you that is crying out to be fed. Why do you think you take 16 selfies and post just the right one on Instagram so that you get likes? What's that? You're hungry. What, what, why, why do you try to control your affairs? Why do you try to maybe even go to the point of manipulating certain things so that you can just relax, so that you have some sense of control? You're hungry for shalom. You realize, I don't have it. i got to go get it. And so what we do, we're not so different from Esau. We go out through the world and we hunt for significance, for shalom, for satisfaction. We need our, our souls filled. Your soul is a bowl. That rhymes. The Bible says that Esau came in from the field, and as skillful of a hunter as he was, it says he came up empty. He didn't have anything. And so he shows up, and he takes his bowl, and he slides it to his scoundrel brother and says, I am starving. Do you know we live in a world where people are starving for significance? They're starving for satisfaction. They're starving for peace. Like, how many of you, you just want to be able to go to bed at night and not worry about anything? We're starving. Our bowls are empty. And this is what this, is what this story is painting. Like, I, I think it's incredible this week. This week alone, and, and it doesn't matter. I could preach this message any week and, and have an example. This week alone, I mean, people that we would say, they've got everything. They're skillful hunters. I mean, the guy, uh, Anth Chef Anthony Bourdain, took his own life this week. What is that? Uh, Kate Spade, the fashion designer, took her own life this week. Like, here's two people we'd say, they got everything. But they would say, oh, I got nothing. And you might say, well, maybe it was mental illness. Well, maybe it was. But I'll tell you what, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when the heart gets sick, the head gets sick. We live in a world, and you know it. You know what that hunger feels like. I just, I just want to be noticed. I just want my life to matter. I just want to sleep. I just need fulfillment. i got to feel something. You were born with a hole in your soul. That's, that's what Solomon was talking about when he said, God has set eternity in the heart of men. That's your bowl. It's your appetites. Your appetites. Do you know what? There's nothing wrong with your appetites. They're God-given. God placed them inside of you. It's because you have a birthright. It's because you were made for greatness. What we do with our appetites, that's where the question is. And, and Esau got it wrong. He comes in in verse 30, says, I'm starved. Give me some of that stew. Give me some of that red stew. Now, that's, that's important. The red stew is important. Uh, in the Hebrew, it, it says, ha-adam, ha-adam, talking about the red. And it's talking red stew, red stew. Red stuff, red stuff is what it's actually translating as. And the Hebrew writers want you to understand something about this stew. Like, it wasn't just that it was, it was lentil stew, but it actually had the hue of being red. Uh, some people think that it was blood, bro blood broth. It's a hard thing to say. 
Some people think it was blood broth. So he comes in and he sees this stew cooking and he's starving. And here's this, this red stew that he starts to think, I could use some of that. Now, in the Hebrew consciousness, for the people who would have first read this, they would have seen the irony in that because they actually believed that blood held the power of life. And it was this picture that, that Esau was looking to get life out of something that can't bring life. He was looking to get fulfillment and fill his bowl up, to fill up his hunger with something that cannot, in the end, bring life. The red stuff, the red stuff, in this case, was not going to do it for him. He was just going to get hungry again. And so he comes in, and it says in verse 30, I'm starved. Give me some of that stew. Verse 32, he says, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first, you must swear to me that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn born to his brother. Here's the second picture I want to paint. We talked about bowls and birthrights, how you have a birthright, except you, are, you, you don't walk in the fulfillment of that, and so you, ha you have hungers and appetites. But now it paints this picture, and I want to focus in on beans and bartering. Beans and bartering. He comes in, and he sees some of the red stuff, and he thinks, that's what I need. I need that. I don't care about the future. I don't care about my birthright. I need that right now. Isn't it amazing what we'll give up later for the immediate, the immediate hungers we have? It's incredible. It's incredible what we'll do if we're hungry enough. Like if you're hungry enough, like just about anything looks appetizing, yeah? Or if you're thirsty enough, just about anything you'll drink. I, true story. I, I went for a swim one time in the St. John River by myself, and I got way too far out, and it's like a hot summer day. And I'm like way out there, and I am parched, like absolutely parched. And if you get hungry, and, or if you get thirsty enough, just about anything seems like a good fresh drink. I did it. I think I've been fine. I mean, I got like this spike on my back that came I, I, I took a drink of the St. John River because if you get thirsty enough, you get hungry enough, just about anything looks appetizing. And, and this is such an ironic and dramatic text because Esau comes in and he literally trades his birthright, like the blessing of God on his life, the blessing of his father on his life for beans. He trades it for beans. Now, it's not that he didn't care about his birthright. It's not that it didn't matter to him. But in that moment, you get hungry enough, he was hungry. And so he, he, went, he wanted the beans. And, y'all, that's what we do. We trade our blessing and God's birthright over our lives for beans. It's not that, it's not that you don't want to be a person of integrity. It's not that you don't want to be a businessman of integrity. You know that's your birthright. However, you were hungry for a break, so you cut some corners. You trade your birthright for beans. It's not... It's not that she doesn't value herself. It's just that she was hungry for some attention and some affection. And that guy was serving it up, so she gave herself to him. Your birthright for beans. It's not that, it's not that you, you, know, you want to be the type of person that tears other people down. It's just that you were feeling pretty low yourself, so you decided to cut them down and pull them down because you were hungry for a win. You were hungry for some attention. You were hungry for some validation. So you slid your bowl over there and filled up on beating someone down. That's how it works. That's actually the nature of sin. You're, you're trading your God-given glory, your God-given birthright for beans. And you know what the worst part about beans is? It's in the Bible, so I'll say it. The worst part about beans is it goes right through you. Doesn't it? Y'all, loosen up. 
It doesn't last. Like, I think, I think it's amazing that he comes in and he has beans, like, and he trades it for beans. And it's such an ironic and dramatic picture that he comes in and trades his eternal forever birthright for the most immediate and least lasting meal he could possibly find short of X-Lax chocolate bars. Like, that's... <laughs> Actually, look what the Bible says. It, it, it pretty much says it for us. It says in verse 34, look, it says, Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew, and Esau ate the meal... And then got up and left. It was over as fast as it started, and we can only assume he went to the bathroom. It's in and it's gone. And that's a neat picture because that, that is what really it happens. That's what happens when we, when we sin. Sin always seems so good. It always smells so good. It always looks so good. But then you go after it and you get it and you, you, you trade your birthright for some beans. And then, it, then it's done as fast as it began. And you, you're left feeling unsatisfied. And you're left feeling like that wasn't a good trade. That was a bad trade. And so if this, if this picture is speaking anything to us, it's, it's telling us, don't trade your birthright for beans. Stop hamstringing and, and mortgaging your destiny for the immediate. Stop trading significance for comfort. I had such an amazing time. Uh, I had a meeting with Pastor John Robertson this week. Uh, he's our East Campus pastor. And this guy left the business world and he's fairly successful in his own field. And came on staff at a church, and that's a significant transition, you know, for a family to make. And, and I said, you doing all right? Is your family doing well? He said, you know what? It's been, a, it's been a huge adjustment for our household. He said, I would not trade the fulfillment I have for a little more comfort in a million years. See, when you have the good meal, when you have the real meal, you realize there's nothing like it. But so often what we'll do is we'll trade true significance, true fulfillment for temporary pleasure. True significance for comfort. We'll live our lives unto ourselves and just chase relief. How much of our lives spent chasing comfort food, fast food, pleasure food? It's a bad trade. I feel like God wants you to just recapture today a vision for your life that understands I was made for so much more. There's better for you than beans. Like, God has better for you than the beans you're filling your bowl up with. Some, some, of, some of us came into this whole faith thing backwards. We think that, like, it's about self-denial. Faith, faith in God is not about self-denial. It's actually about realizing that the best way I fulfill myself is by giving myself to God. This is what C.S. Lewis was talking about in Mere Christianity. He said that the problem is not the, the, the fact that we have desires, Appetites, desires aren't the problem. The problem is we settle for too little. We are too easily satisfied. You settle for beans when God's got a glorious birthright for your life. You settle for day-by-day -day living when God's got this glorious, beautiful destiny. You settle for comfort instead of significance. And God wants to just tell you and just kind of draw your spirit up today, reminding you he made you to be significant. He made you to, to rule and reign and have dominion on the earth forever and ever and ever. That's why God made you. And yet we all, like Esau, every one of us, have traded our birthright for beans. 
The tragic story about Esau is that after he did this, like, you know, we, don't, we aren't part of this culture, so we have a hard time understanding, like, okay, we'll just say, uh, you know, no trade backs or just take it back or whatever. Like, we look at it and we're like, oh, that's kind of a stupid thing between two, two young boys. Actually, they're not that young. Most commentators believe they're, like, middle-aged, like 60 years old. Doesn't that change this kind of the dynamic here? Like, two 60-year-old men. It's amazing how infantile we can be all our lives. And he, so you kind of wonder, like, okay, just, just trade it back because, you know, uh, the eldest had the right to trade and to give away his birthright. But in their culture, once it was gone, it was gone. It's, there's no bringing it back. It actually tells us if we had time, we could flip a couple pages in Genesis. It tells us that he, Esau goes to his dad, Isaac, and says, Father, please give me, give me back my birthright. Give me your blessing. Please give it back. He begged with tears. It says in Hebrews 12, look what it says in Hebrews 12. It talks about it again. It says, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. It was gone. The opportunity was gone. His bowl was forever empty. It's a sad story. I think it's interesting that the Hebrew writer says that godlessness, immorality, that in effect it's trading your birthright for beans. That's what Esau's problem is, and that's what our problem is. And the, and the tragedy for us is all of us, the Bible says, have traded our birthright in. That's what Romans 3.23 means. It says, for all have sinned, and what? Fall short of the glory of God. That's the glory that was meant to fill your bowl and fill your soul. We've all fallen short of it. We've all taken our bowl and said, I want some of that. And we have left the glory of God. That's what sin is. That's what rebellion is. And the Bible says every single one of us have done that. And if you'll stop long enough and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and reveal to you, you'll know it's true that you are not in unity with God uh, on your own. That you can't just make things right with God on your own. And so this picture it paints is a tragic story, but it reveals something about the human condition. That all of us have fallen short. All of us have traded beans for our birthright. Birthright for, our be for beans. Every single one of us. It says in Romans 1 that, that we have all traded the, the, the glory of immortal God for images. We, we've traded the, the, the glory of our creator for created things and looked to find life in the red stuff, the wrong red stuff that can't bring life. So you can't really blame Jacob, can you? Why is he, he's not going to give it back. The only way Esau could get his birthright back is if he convinced Jacob, the scoundrel, to transfer it back to him free of charge. That's the only way he was going to get it back. And we find out Jacob does not do that. And I mean, who would? Who would transfer their birthright onto an idiot? Who would transfer their birthright onto a person who squandered it, who didn't value it, who slapped his father in the face? Who would transfer his birthright for someone who clearly doesn't deserve it in the first place? This is a picture about another story. It's a, it's a picture about brothers and blessings and an un, unimaginably bad trait. The Bible tells us that Jesus was trying to explain what God is like. Trying to explain how God views humanity. 
And he was doing it by painting pictures, word pictures, called parables. And he said, it's, you know, God the Father is like a shepherd who left 99 to find one. He's like, he's like a, a woman who owned a house who turned it upside down to find one precious coin. And then it says that Jesus told a story that God the Father is like a, he's like a father who had two sons. And the youngest son came to the father and said, Father, I want my inheritance. Which in Jesus' culture was the same as spitting in his face and saying, I don't care if you're dead, give me, you're, you're only worth that money to me, you can die. And he said that the two sons, the, the youngest son came and asked for his inheritance and that he went off to a faraway land and he squandered his wealth. And he started filling up on beans, getting less and less satisfied until Jesus said one day he was working in the field, he was serving, he was tending pigs, and he realized that even a servant in my father's house eats, eats better than I do right now. And so he kind of concocts this speech and starts heading back to talk to his father to see if his father would take him on as a slave, as a hired hand. And he starts heading back, and Jesus says in Luke 15, 20, it says, So the son returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Jesus wants you to know that the father is looking for you, even if you're a long way off. And filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. You know that fathers, patriarchs, didn't run in that culture. That was, that was disgraceful. Except this father, our father, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I've poured out my birthright. I've, I've squandered my life, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to him, it's like he said, shut up. He just stopped in mid-sentence. Stop talking. He said, quick, bring the finest robe. What's that a picture of? Is that not a picture of significance? Robe him with distinction. Put glory on my son. Wrap him up in the finest linens. Cover him in greatness. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. He doesn't deserve that. Get a, get a ring for his finger. Get the family ring. Bring the family ring and put it on his finger. And sandals on his feet. What's that picture of the, the ring? It's, it's being brought back in and being brought into order. That's a picture of shalom. That, that, that the father had made peace with his son. That you are my son. And I don't care what you did. You're my son. Come back in. And then it says, and kill the calf we've been fattening. For we must celebrate with a feast. Fill his bowl up with the finest of fare. Fill his bowl up with the finest meal. And he says, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. And he was lost, but now he's found. And the party began. And Jesus is trying to kind of begin to paint a picture for you that we can just come back to God, dump out the beans... That's what repentance is. It's saying, that's beans. And return to the Father 
and the Father will take us in. But the story doesn't stop there. It's not just as easy as that. It's not as simple as what that reads. It's not as simple as the Father just saying, yeah, yeah, it's all good. Come on in. That's, that's not how this story plays. In fact, Jesus said this is a story about two sons. And that for this to happen, you've got to understand the culture. It says that as the party was happening, the second son, the, the eldest son in this story, was out in the field tending the, the cattle. And it says that he heard the party and he comes back in and he is outraged that the father would take back this son who squandered his glory and squandered his birthright. He was so mad about it. And the father tries to explain to him, we have to, we have to celebrate. He was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. But the elder brother storms off angry. And you and I read that and say, what's his problem? Well, his problem is that that meant that the father and him were going to now have to foot the bill because that son had already squandered a huge part of the inheritance. So this was going to cost the older brother something he was not willing to pay. The father had decided to bring him back in, which meant that the, the elder brother was going to lose part of his inheritance. That's why he's mad. And Jesus was setting that up to proclaim something to you today that he is the older brother who gladly not just pays the price for you to come back into the family of God, but he actually transferred his rights as the firstborn onto you and me. That's what the gospel is, and that's what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying, you are invited back in, and I have footed the bill. I have paid the price, and I voluntarily will transfer my glory for your shame. That's Jesus' robe. That's Jesus' ring. That's Jesus' feast. And he says, I have prepared that for you, that you can come in freely, and I'll pay the price. I'll take your beans. Jesus trades us a feast for all the beans and all the bowls and all the stew that you and I have done in our lives. He trades it. And this is kind of what he was saying at that night of the Last Supper. He took a meal to try to help them understand what this was all about. And he said, this is my body. He took some bread and he said, this is my body. I'm serving you a meal right now, the the meal that will actually fulfill you. He said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever receives of me will never hunger or thirst again. The bread that I give you, the water that I give you will last forever and ever and ever. You want fulfillment? You want satisfaction? You want significance? You want peace? Take the bread. He makes this feast with his friends. He says, this is my body broken for you. I'm taking your punishment. I'm paying your debt. I'm paying your price and I'm transferring my glory for your shame. And I'm putting the bread of life in your soul. It says in Matthew 26, he took the bread. He said, take it and eat this. Take it in. Be fulfilled. And then it says he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you the red stuff the red stuff the red stuff that actually brings life the red stuff that the son of God poured out himself like the glory of the red stuff the Bible says in Philippians 2 that he did not view equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead gave up his divine privileges. He poured them out on us to fill our cup with godliness, with significance, with 
forgiveness, with satisfaction, with meaning, with love, with validation, with affirmation. He emptied himself of glory and poured it into our cup. And he himself took the bitter lentil stew. Says later that night, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying in anguish. And he said, Father, if, if it's possible, would you let this cup pass from me? Is there any other way? Let this bitter cup pass from me. He drank your bitter cup and gave you his glory. So that when we receive it, we are welcomed in to the family of God. Your birthright is restored through Jesus. That's what this meal is all about. Your birthright. You, when you come to the table, when you come to the meal that Jesus has given and prepared for you, you step back into your birthright. You step back into the glory. You step back into power. You step back into purpose. You step back into meaning. You step back into significance. That's what this meal is. And so today, we are going to come to the table and we are going to receive the gift that Jesus bought us with his own blood and has given us freely by his grace. And you might sit there today and say, oh, that's not fair. That's a bad trade. Yeah, it is. It's an unimaginably bad trade. And yet, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I'm going to invite you to stand with me today, and I want to pray for us before we participate in the Lord's Supper But I want you, as you come to the table, and there's tables at all four corners of the worship center. But as you come to the table, I want you to consider what have you been trading? What have you been drinking instead of this? And what could be better than eternal life, eternal joy, eternal meaning? Stop trading the glory of God in you that he freely gave you and cost him everything. Stop trading that for beans. You got to imagine the son that came back to the father's house that day. Like that had to change him deeply, wouldn't it? Like when you realize what it cost the father and what it cost the older brother, what, do, you, do you think that that son went back out and squandered the, the new cup? Don't think so. And for some of you, I wanted to talk to some of you who are like me, Christians, and you've been believers for a while. The key to victory and transformation is realizing what, you, what you've been given. It's not going out trying to be a better son. It's realizing what the Father has already done for you. How can you squander the, the wealth that the Father has so richly given you? So for some of you, as you come today and you receive, be reminded of how greatly you have been loved, how greatly you are loved, what you are destined for, what God has created you for. As you drink the red stuff, the red stuff, let life rush into you. Let it remind you that you've been bought for a price. Freedom isn't free. Grace is not cheap. The most precious commodity in the universe, the Son of God, died for you. And for some of you, 
you've never taken that step and said, you know what, I have been spending my whole life hunting. I'm a pretty skillful hunter, and yet I come up empty time and time again. And now I hear this story that I have been made with a purpose. God created me. I'm not some accident. I'm not a mistake. And even though I've made mistakes, I've been bought for a price, and then I want that new life. I want my cup filled. I want my bowl filled with life and significance. And today, you can come and receive freely through faith. So I'm going to pray, and we're all going to pray together and just remind ourselves of what we've been given in Christ and recommit ourselves at the table as sons and daughters of God and let this celebration begin. I want you to just repeat after me as we pray. Let's just say this out loud for everybody, and we're going to help people to do this for the first time, some of you. Let's pray. Say this, Dear Heavenly Father, I have squandered my wealth. Forgive me of my sins. I'm turning back to you today. And I receive to you new life through Jesus Christ. Help me live by your grace all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, would you shoot your hand up really quick? Just say, hey, I'm making that decision. Awesome, 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 awesome. That's awesome. Hey, guess what? There's nothing else you have to do. You, just like all your brothers and sisters in your family, we are one big family. You get to come to the table freely today and receive the, the precious grace of God. So today we're going to come and we are going to celebrate. This is a celebration. This isn't going to be some somber thing you beat yourself up about. Jesus already got beat up so that we could come in and have a feast and have a party. So come to the table, take some bread, take some of the red stuff, the red stuff, and then you can go back to your seat and we are going to sing and celebrate. Don't wait for me. I'm going to just release you to take this meal. Jesus told us that when you drink this cup and you take the bread, you proclaim my death until I come. And so remind yourself, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Come and let's party.